That Force Radio. That Force Radio is rated M for mature. Or should that be immature? Hey guys, Dustin Wint. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. You're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Tom King. I write Batman Bitch. And this is Bat Force Radio. either at like the booth or something like that actually right. oh was it last year the year before i was in new york comic-con and i was by the dc area and i'm just standing not knowing what's going on i think you had like one of these pop-up you were doing sketches for people like quick sketches online and i didn't even right. know about it i was there like holy shit and then <laughs> then it capped the the guy in front of me is where it capped off and, oh, and to make it even worse infamous douchebag as well that it capped off so <laughs> it was like two daggers in the heart i'm just like staring from the lines like and libra house banging out like black and white yeah like, that, that was brutal man but uh, so yeah. yeah sorry to say he probably sold that sketch right <laughs> after he got it from you lee that's kind of <laughs> that everyone welcome to bat force radio the batman slash dc podcast with no limits covering everything imaginable from the world of dc and our good friends over at dc as well uh we got a really special episode tonight i'm really excited about it let me bang the panel out of the way real quick i got bat force tom over in california yep and i got robin cross up in canada brought to you by hawthorne wipes hawthorne wipes all right so today we get to cross off a major wish list guest for the show uh this guy has been on our wish list uh, for such a long time that you can go back to episode 19 of our show and it was an entire episode dedicated to one of his books. So that's got to be about two years ago because we're at like episode 130 something now. Uh, you know him from very iconic work like uh, Batman Noel, Joker with Brian Azzarello, other books like uh, Batman and Death Blow, We Are Robin, uh, led to the Robin War and all that stuff. And later this year, I think it's going to fall before the end of the year, he'll be returning to work with Brian Azzarello on Batman Damned. Uh, being released under the new DC imprint uh, black label. So a big warm welcome for Mr. Lieber Mayo. Yeah. And uh, you're you're coming all the way from uh, Italy, so we really appreciate you putting in uh, the late night. Uh, it's not it's not late. It's ten thirty. Thanks thanks for having me, guys. I, I appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, it was very kind introduction there. Ten p.m. now, but five hours from now, when you're getting in trouble for coming to bed so late, it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how's everything, Lee? How's life? Life's good. Life's yeah. Life's very good. Yeah, you know, can't cannot complain. Uh, must be uh, really busy over there, uh, cranking out uh, all this good stuff to come on DC. Yeah, yeah, it's it's um it's getting to that point where where um, things are getting pretty intense. Thankfully, we've had we've had a good chunk of lead time, and so uh, and so yeah, you know we're 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 well underway, but pretty soon it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be upon us. So uh, we're, we're, we're yeah. It must be hot as hell in Italy right now too. I remember I. Uh, it's not I used... bad. No, that's so bad. Closer to the summertime, it gets brutal, man. I was in a. I remember when I was in Venice, I was like, "Holy shit!" But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah so I can just. You made it nasty. But, but all right, so to start this, this is really exciting for us. Um, to start it off, take us 
on the journey of how it all began for you like first of all like like where you where are you from and your growth as an artist how you were first introduced to art and what made you want to be an artist and then into like maybe how you broke into the the comic book industry and your passion for comics yeah i i mean i'm i'm uh i was born in in a little town in, in ohio called athens yeah i mean my family moved to southern california uh when i was when i was uh i think eight or nine i grew up for the most part in, in southern california as far as as far as art stuff goes i mean you know i i drew from a very 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 young age you know something that i kind of always always gravitated towards you know and, and uh, spent most of my spare time spent most of my spare time doing doing just that grew up reading comics and loving comics and you know being kind of having the good fortune to grow up pretty close to san diego com you know i was able to start going to that uh, back in 1993 so this was you know way before it became the monster that that it is now um you know at that point in time you could show up on thursday and get a ticket you maybe wait in line like an hour or something like that and then it was, yeah. it, was, it, was more, it was more of a kind of a, a typical convention or at least what conventions were like at that point in time and that kind of introduced me to this this whole concept of uh, of you know breaking into the industry because i was i was my first couple of years there i think i was 15 14 or 15 and um you know showing my port portfolio became kind of the main my main reason for going down and um i met a lot of other younger guys at that point in time, you know, image was really kind of hitting, hitting big. And, and, uh, a lot of the younger guys at that point in time were trying to break in there. And, and that was definitely my, my, uh, goal as well. I, I really wanted to break into this, uh, studio that Jim Lee had started called Wildstorm. They just seemed to be doing the most, the most interesting stuff in terms of what I saw at Image Comics at the time. Artistically, they they had a lot of different guys working for them with different styles. They didn't, it didn't seem like they had a house style, so to speak, like some of the other studios. It seemed like a, a pretty cool place to work, and a lot of the um, younger guys who were already working professionally, who I really admired, like. Aaron Weisenfeld and, and Michael Lopez, they were, they were working there. So that kind of became my, my, uh, my, you know, like freshman, sophomore in high school. I, I pretty much knew that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to pursue, pursue a career in, in, in comics, specifically working there. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, the origin story in, in a nutshell. Was, was there some kind of story where Jim Lee was reviewing like hundreds of portfolios and he picked you to something to that extent? Yeah, he, he, it actually didn't go down quite like that. He was um, at San Diego every year. You like the way it worked is that you'd stand in portfolio lines and maybe it still works this way. I'm not, I'm not too sure. That um, does, yeah. Yeah. Upstairs. Yeah, you'd stand in portfolio review lines, and um, different editors would kind of come in and out, and they, you know, it'd take forever, but they would eventually get to you. And and it worked out that there was an editor at Wildstorm at that point in time named Sarah Becker, who um, she, um, I don't know if you guys remember a show called The Real World, but uh, she yeah. was on. Oh God. Yeah, she was she was on The Real World Miami. And no so, way. <laughs> and so. Um, I kind of knew who she was already, uh, and I knew that she worked at, at Wildstorm. But um, yeah, she basically looked at my stuff uh, and said, "Hey, I think that you, you know, I think that you got something here." And and Jim Lee's doing a special, you know, kind of exclusive portfolio review got for just a handful of guys. And um, you know, I, I think I think you should you should be a part of that. And so she kind of gave me this ticket 
like the golden ticket kind of thing to have access to this um, wow. portfolio re review from Jim, which turned out to be not that. Um, Jim showed up and uh, there was, I guess they had given more tickets out than they were supposed to because there was about eight of us in there. He was like, well, well, I don't have time to interview you guys or to look at each of your guys' portfolios individually, so I'm just going to give you guys a quick lesson. So he just kind of sat there and taught us about how he broke down a page, but it really like we were all kind of crushed because we were all, we all thought that it was going to be this moment to kind of like show our work to Jim and um, that that wasn't the way it worked out and that was uh, I think it was sixteen so uh, <clears throat> sorry guys I'm, I've got allergy seasonal allergies so if you, me, it. cool. if you hear me sniffling and like coughing and stuff that's that's the reason but um, yeah but uh, two years later I was in um, two or three years later I forget I was in. Uh, I was going to college up in uh, Santa Barbara, and uh, I was working at a Haagen-Dazs in, in downtown Santa Barbara, and there was a uh, and there was a comic shop that was there in the, in the neighborhood that I would go to pretty frequently, and they had uh, a, a couple of the guys from Wildstorm, Matt Broom and Jonathan Peterson, were there to do a signing, and of course the signing was like right during my, my the hours that I was supposed to be working. So um, during my break, my 15-minute break, I, uh, I, you know, I brought my portfolio with me and I took off and just kind of hoped to shove some photocopies in front of them, kind of work my, force my way through the line and do kind of a, a, a dive bomb of, uh, <laughs> of, of photocopies and wound up t uh, talking to Jonathan Peterson for a good half an hour. And I mean, they almost fired me, but, um, <laughs> he, he gave everyone on the line free ice cream. So he could cut the line. <laughs> all the ice cream. It was, my, it was, it was that, you know, it was that typical job you do when you're that age, when you're going to school or whatever. But, um, that, that turned into something pretty cool because Jonathan gave me um, the address to the studio and, and his number and was like, look, um, you know, keep in touch with me and, and keep keep me updated on your progress. Keep sending me stuff. And so for about the next year, I just would send him stuff. About every three months, I'd send him a package of new, of new work. Uh, at WonderCon, I think that same year, I wound up meeting Scott Doonbeer, who now he's the editor-in-chief. Well, I don't know if he's the editor-in-chief at uh, IDW, but he 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 works at IDW now, and he was um, doing uh, the Wildstorm Fine Arts program, which was kind of like their prints and stuff like that. And I'm I wound up meeting him at WonderCon and showed him my stuff, and and he, it was the kind of the same thing where he was like, you know, keep keep sending me stuff. And because of that, uh, that summer uh, I wound up getting the call from from those guys. They had an internship program. Um, it was pretty unique and, and I don't think anything like this in comics has been done since and it's, it was really it was really amazing what they do is they take young guys and they'd put them up in an apartment in downtown La Jolla where the studio was so they basically pay for your rent and your job was to go into the studio every day and uh, and draw and they would give you little assignments like trading cards at that point in time were big so you do trading cards or oh. I did I did like basketball toy designs I did you know, I, we did a lot of stuff. We did video game. Uh, we did art book for those video game um, cheat guides or whatever they are. Yeah, you know, yeah. like walkthroughs. Yeah, we, we did everything but comics, basically. <laughs> we were the guys they'd give all that kind of work to. And, uh, you know, it was me and a bunch of other young guys, and it was kind of like my, I mean, I'd had a, a year of college experience, but that really became my college experience there. It was living in this in this place that we called the Crack House. 
Um, and it was just, you know, it was just a bong stained floors. And <laughs> it was uh, a pretty amazing artistic experience because you were hanging out with a bunch of guys from completely different backgrounds and completely different style, artistic styles. And we just all wound up becoming really tight. It was kind of a crash course in how to draw and how, and how to draw and how to be an illustrator. Uh, and so, yeah, that, that kind of that experience then wound up leading to obviously to other actual comic book work there at Wildstorm. But this was all, I was like 19. So at that point in time, I wasn't quite ready to do, um, to do, you know, panel to panel work, although that I, that's what I was obviously wanting to do. But um, I just wasn't, the stuff hadn't matured enough yet to get to get to that point. But they, but they had this amazing kind of foresight. I mean, a lot of the guys that they brought in are monsters. I mean, you know, there's um, a lot of guys working in comics now in video games and other industries as well. They kind of came out of Wildstorm and that experience kind of shaped shaped you in a really in a really particular way. It was just, you know, you you were kind of free to draw how you wanted and and um, and it was uh, yeah, it was an amazing amazing experience. From what I've uh, always heard of you is that you didn't uh do the typical spending years going through art school and stuff like that and you were largely uh self-taught is that accurate yeah yeah i mean you know self-taught i mean this like i said that was kind of like a crash course in art school or something it just wasn't formal because we were all learning from each other we were all you know 19 20 21 years old and we were you know you, you get put in the studio and at that point in time you know aaron Weis aaron weisenfeld was doing stuff michael lopez was doing stuff um you know travis sheree was doing the x-men wildcat stuff at that point in time so it's like you were watching i think jim was working on the marvel heroes reborn stuff at that point in time so you were watching these pages uh coming in and at such a high level and, and it was just you know you were you know soaking in as much of that stuff as as you could so yeah i mean i, I definitely self-taught but you know that kind of was an art school of sorts talking about um that and you know being self-taught and where you started to evolve from um i think you're, you're an excellent balance in the comic world right now because i think you have i guess what would be considered one of the more realistic and detailed styles than others sure. yeah. how, how um how did that evolve is that something you always were really interested in with like realism and detail and were there like any traditional artists in history that you might have uh, been inspired by to, to like, you know, render your work in that style? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, you know, I grew up um, in my house. My my parents had a Norman Rockwell coffee table book on the, on the coffee table in the living room wow. since I was a kid. And so his stuff kind of uh, I just, you know, I, you know, the more that I work and the more that I evolve, the more I really realize what an impact that had on on how I wanted to see art and what I expected from art. And, and um, when you, you know, certainly in American comics, and you, this is still the case, you have, um, you know, these kind of overbearing styles that become popular. And a lot of people do riffs on those styles, right? So like yeah. you have your Jim Lees and the, the Jim Lees become your Travis Sherays and your David Finches and your David Finches become uh, a, a, mil yeah, a million other guys who do that kind of riff. And, and, um, and uh, I'm not knocking that at all. That's that's uh, part of the nature of the of the business. You know what I mean? Like you, these are that's what sells books. You know what I mean? These those styles function within the economics of of the comic book industry. Right. But I think what I but I think what I was looking looking for out of art was um, this is going to sound really kind of militaristic and and gladiatorial, but I I, I would have rather died than go that that route. Yeah. That 
because it's like I didn't want to just be and I, and I kind of risked that for a while being kind of a uh, you know it's just part of how you learn you're 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 learning from other people's work and you're trying to emulate guys you really love and so you know when I started out it was I was emulating as many different guys as I as I I mean I would get interested in I started out doing Wills Portacio because I loved his stuff and then I got into Tim Bradstreet and I started to kind of do Tim Bradstreet this was before I got hired and I was kind of going through all these styles of you know uh, imitating kind of styles that were attracted to me and then at a certain point when I, I think that it was the early experiences in the studio that that really shaped this, really knocked this into me was a lot of those guys, those guys I'm specifically talking about are JJ Kirby, uh, Carlos DeAnda. Um, those guys at the time were, I mean, they kind of had their own thing going on, you know, like JJ certainly wasn't drawing like anybody else. Um, and Carlos had like a little bit of Mobius, a little bit of, um, Jim, a little bit of, uh, and, but it was still cartoony, you know, like he, he was mixing all these different kind of different uh, influences and making kind of his own thing. And at that point it, it became important for me to kind of, okay, so I'm going to learn how to draw, but I, re I really need to do something that is my own. Like I, I want people to look at, at it and not think, oh, that looks like David Finch or, oh, that looks like um, Jim Lee. You know, I, I want I want I wanted to do something that really could like really could stand on its own. And so once I started um, once I started kind of trying to uh, I wouldn't say, I guess I, I didn't really try to shed other influences. It was just that what I started to lean towards and this brings it back to Rockwell at that moment in time was um, paint more painterly stuff and illustration. Um, American illustration in the 40s and 50s and, and so and I, I became really really into an artist named Phil Hale a painter named Phil Hale and so at that point in time what I was kind of interested in was not American comic book artists you know I was I was starting to draw a lot more inspiration from outside from outside of comics and so that's when I really realized wow that you know just being introduced to Rockwell stuff uh, early on and and that really I think shaped a bit of like I said before what I kind of expect out of art and what I want to see out of art and so I think the realism is something that that appeals to me because uh, I feel like it's a really solid point of reference you know what I mean like I I think that um, I can always uh, I can always look to reality to kind of be a a, a, a real influence uh, for me you know I'm, I'm not the kind of guy that grew up loving uh, animation or, you know, I, it's not that I don't like that stuff, but that wasn't what was turning me on artistically, you know what I mean? Um, and a lot of guys, that's, that really is, you know, that's, that's what these guys kind of grew up on. And, and so it becomes part of their style. For me, I think other influences started to seep in. And then that kind of went, and Norman Rockwell is a perfect example. I mean, he's, he's a realist. He's, um, he's a realist who exaggerates, you know? So, yeah stuff kind of has an, uh, somewhat of a cartoony quality within its realism mm. and that really, that really appeals to me yeah side note just out of curiosity have you ever seen like uh, Lisa Yuskavage's work by any chance the no well, I'll, I'll send you a link for uh, Google she's like oh. uh, she's a pretty big deal like she um, she's like the out of school of Yale she's uh, realistic she like that perfect relationship between realism with a, with a hint of like cartooniness or Ooh. exaggeration and like she's a really good colorist and she's like yeah her, her paintings go for like ridiculous amounts of money now but she's like one of the few Ooh. in the fine art world that I, i'm a big fan of Ooh. 
But cool. um, but no. So talking about like what you just mentioned, um, I'm I'm really happy that you exist and you you went this route with your work because I feel like in comics we need a little bit of balance in terms of style and when you come to expect comic book art you think of like you know the the jim lees and the capullos but like realism stands out so much and it's so important and there's people who just flock to the work just because of the the work put into the art but and um but the thing is that um in the comic book world i feel like we needed to balance it up but i think there could only be so many slots for that you being one of them yeah no like exactly like anything i mean if everybody was drawing like that it wouldn't be very interesting anymore and in the same way that it ceases to become interesting when you see a lot of guys out there who are drawing like artist x or artist artist y you know I, again i think i think it's like it, it serves different purposes too like i, I don't think that uh I don't think that what I do is would be good for every you know every project. I think there's projects that I'm not suited for because of uh, of the way I draw. We are Robin being being a perfect example. I mean, I you know people when that was coming out, people were like, well, why aren't you drawing it? And uh, beyond just logistics of time and other factors, I, I just I wouldn't be appropriate to draw that that book. I mean, you know that that book would have been a completely different thing in my in my hands. You know, it it it, um, it would have been a lot more, uh, I think, kind of silly and earnest, if yeah. that makes any sense. Like it wouldn't have, you wouldn't have been able to feel the kind of the sense of um, of the new. You know what I mean? Uh, Just a side note, being that you mentioned that with We Are Robin, because you you were writing it, um, it had this urban feel to it, which I was really interested in. I think someone mentioned like having like a like a Latina Robin and whatnot. Right. Um, this this kind of writing did this come from like maybe your experiences in California and some things that you might have experienced that you wanted to incorporate in a Batman story or like a, a Gotham story. Yeah. I should say. Yeah. I mean, I mean, look, it's you know, I come from a mixed a mixed family. So um, so my dad my my dad's Mexican. I grew up with uh, mixed culture in, in the household, and so for me, that's just kind of normal. Right. Yeah. Um, and and it's something that I don't see. I mean, this is a hot topic these days, anyway. Um, but but you know, I can I can kind of agree with it. You you just don't see a lot of that representation. But I didn't do it specifically for that reason. Right. Uh, it, it wasn't like I was like. It wasn't like I felt the need to beat a message into anybody's head. I just wanted to see if there, if if the if the high concept was that it being Robin becomes a movement, then the doors just open up for as many different types of race and gender possible. And so, you know, growing up with a bit of that culture in my household, I was like, man, I want to see a Latina Robin. <laughs> well, it, <laughs> you know? it, it makes so much sense because you can think about, all right, you have this in Gotham City. And Gotham City is a mirror of New York, let's say. And right. that's all it is, is the diversity of all of that, all these people. Like, right. if the whole Gotham universe was really real and, you know, within the city, then you would have, you know, like Latinas and Asians and everyone wanting yeah. to be a Robin, you know, coming out of the schoolyards and want. I, I did like your vision of that. I really did. I think that book was like... Um... It was a it was a really fun uh, kind of fledgling fledgling project for me, and and it was my first experience working within within continuity. I've never I'd never done that before. I, everything I I've, I've ever done has been kind of on its own, or or um, you know like sp- kind of quote unquote special projects that are outside of outside of continuity. So it was uh, it was my first time kind of dealing within uh, a system. You know, and trying to make and trying to make a book work within a series of other books that needed to function and stand on their own as well. 
yeah, it was like it was uh, it was an eye opening experience. And I think there's like moments where we hit where we hit something where I really thought this is this is what I want this book to be. I think I think that more more than anything else, it was like it was just one of those projects that um, that came along at that moment in time where I really needed to keep writing. Yeah, you know, I, I had to scratch I had to scratch that itch, and that and that idea started out as a much different idea, but years years beforehand and so it was kind of this uh, the initial idea of it was uh, much more kind of standard but um i i wanted to do this kind of year one dick grayson story but uh but the con- high concept was still kind of the same where he kind of uh, you know finds out that there's you know he's not the only kid out there that batman is taking an interest in right. there's a bunch of kids and batman's kind of like you know he's got kind of like a legion of little eyes and ears on the streets you yeah. know and play- in places that he couldn't get into and and uh, you know that was the initial that was the initial story and obviously it wouldn't have worked for that moment in time they felt like it could work for that particular moment you know when gordon was becoming batman and they had all these other plans so they wanted to kind of throw that in there as well yeah a lot of traffic going on with continuity that's the yeah 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 yeah. you really grounded gotham in reality with that concept and i like that i think we could have pushed it a little bit further but it's hard to do that in in continuity like yeah. there's stuff there's really stuff you can't do you know yes. like we push we push the content with the joker stuff like yeah we push the content in that issue a little bit further than i think people were really comfortable with right and, and so i think it from that point i think that was issue seven when you know when we introduced the whole jokers thing and i think at that point in time you know there was already like some some hot hot button issues there where you know right. kid killing parents and stuff like that yeah bouncing back to um your style and evolution and whatnot before we go forward um there's something i've always wanted to ask you and I, I, i'm such a big fan of it well we i guess we could call the libra Mero bat suit um <laughs> which is yes. one of, which is one of the most iconic i mean one of the most bad fucking badass bat suits there is um it would like it kind of has like like almost like motorcycle boots and just that that bat mm. symbol on his chest. What was the process of designing that bat suit? I always wanted to know. Yeah, that kind of came about from a bunch of spitballing sessions. When I started doing Batman Death Blow, which was the first Batman project I did uh, at Wildstorm, it was it was a series of conversations that we were having in the studio between me, Jim, Carlos Dianda, and a couple other guys, where we were really kind of waxing philosophical about these characters and 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 you know um we got into these like huge debates about what the cities would be like and how they would function and like and that's really where where that came about because um this was all kind of before the um the movies took that took the christopher nolan turn you know and so so things were kind of i was i was really wanting to push for this kind of urban soldier thing yeah. and in batman deathblow brian had this vision of where he was much more kind of like james bond where he was more like in different disguises and batman was just one of those disguises you know and so Bat- brian had this kind of different he was he had a different take a more spy kind of take on batman in, in that book and so we never really went with at that point I, I did i didn't go like the full nine yards with the um with the bat suit and it wasn't it wasn't really until the end of joker when I, when i was already just kind of completely doing my own thing with all those characters that i just you know I, that i just went full bore and did um yeah i did the kind of like 
Kevlar padding and, and like you said, motorcycle boots. And, you know, I just kind of wanted to do something that felt very um, lived in and, and real, but not I mean, you know, how, how do I say it? It's like, I've said, I've said this before. It always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Like in Batman Begins, he's got this kind of military suit. Right. My, my thing is like, well, somewhere out, someone else, you can push the realism factor only so far before you have to start asking a bunch of questions that nobody wants to ask because it's obvious that not just one person created that suit, right? Like yeah. how people were involved, you know what I mean? So yeah. At that point, you kind of open the floodgates for for people to start going like, he's fucking driving around the city in a military car that a bunch of people probably know about. Like, you know? Yeah. And so it's 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 just at that point, I don't know. It's I I felt like it had to still be something that looked homemade. You know what I mean? It still had to be something that looked like you could, with the resources and the time and capabilities, you could kind of do it on your own. And so that was kind of the thing that I that I was really pushing towards that it, it didn't seem like uh, some kind of fancy armor or something that um, the moment it starts becoming too Iron Man, I, I kind of, I check out, you know, it, it starts. Yeah, to, and I, that's a good point. I, I was, I was never, I was never a fan of his suit and equipment. Like the, the style of the suit that you designed is obviously it's very specialized by him for himself. Whereas like you said, the stuff in the Nolan movies, it's basically all repurposed tech. Right, that right. you know, other people created and worked on, and you know, he's just co-opted that to to become Batman with. And mm-hmm. yeah, there would be people all over. Hey, I designed that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, that belt looks familiar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's that's kind of where you start to to get fast and loose with the real with the concept of realism because. You know, I I know that this is you can't go completely real with these characters. I mean, you you know, like I said, you start opening up the door for questions that you don't necessarily want to be asked if you push that too far. But you know, for for my for my own taste, I guess in my own aesthetic, I'm I'm um, I'm a fetish artist in the sense that, uh, and I I don't mean that in the sense that I like whips and vinyl. It's it's in the sense that I I draw what I find aesthetically appealing to me you know like Mm. that's what i that's what i do i don't um i don't work well when i have to work on someone else's design i have to kind of make that design my own as much as i as i possibly can and then i can kind of enter into the world psychologically a little bit easier um it doesn't feel like i'm borrowing it doesn't doesn't feel like i'm borrowing someone else's clothes you know what i mean um i don't want to wear anybody else's underwear so i (laughs) i I have to kind of, I have to kind of at least give it that something that makes me go, this is okay. This, so this is my version of this character, that character, and so then, then that all comes back to this question of aesthetic, and and my and my aesthetic tends to be, you know, going back again to the Rockwell or whatever of the situation where you have this viewpoint that you, you want it to look believable, you want it to look real, and and you want it to look like um, if this character is supposed to be human, and uh, you want it to look like it. It could actually function. It's funny you mentioned those, those terms because I was thinking like uh, what I love about your bat suit design as well is that it it's like it, it forces the viewer to try to figure it out. It's like sometimes is it a bit is, is it almost got not quite but is there something there or is it almost rock but not quite or even like maybe bondage because of the leather. It's 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 right. one that you want to further visually explore, which is something I always right. loved as well, and a very practical uh, utility belt as well. Yeah, yeah, that's just like a World War Two. I love those World War Two 
um, utility belts. Mm. I just thought, thought those were so kind of durable and, and cool looking, you know? Yeah. Mm. You know, and the guy's like swinging around on wires. I mean, he's got to have kind of hooks and, you know, kind of climbing, climber type gear on there too. So I like to give it those clasps and stuff like that that he can hook lines. You know what I mean? You just... It's just part of breaking down the character and trying to think about, okay, well, what would this guy actually need to do these kind of crazy things, yeah. crazy things that he does? But um, Every December, the Bad Force has what's called this Christmas party, and we all break out Noel and read it and get drunk and just have like a little <laughs> Christmas party via um, podcast. <laughs> whatnot. We, we, we fucking love Noel. I love, I love, awesome. love Noel because um, it really demonstrated your understanding of architecture as well, like your Gotham City. It's just amazing. Right. It's fucking like you. Right. You really put in the work. Tell me what what was the experience doing that book? Because it looks like a hell of a lot of work. Yeah, it took me like two and a half years. It was like it damn. Was, yeah, man. Yep. So it was a uh, that book was really an ex a writing exercise for me um, because I I wanted to write uh, and it's really difficult in American comics. It's getting easier now. I think now things are kind of, the doors are opening up, but at least when I broke into comics, people tended to want you to do one thing. You know, you are a writer, you are a penciler, you are a, an anchor, you know what I mean? And so writing and drawing um, was something that was kind of reserved for people really good, you know, really kind of, you know, the tops of, of the field or people who were willing to kind of make that sacrifice and say, OK, look, I'm just going to do my own shit. And if I eventually get to work for the bigger company, great, but I'm going to write and draw my own my own stuff. And um, and so I needed to kind of scratch that itch of writing as as well as drawing. And um, and so. You know, at the time I was working on um, this idea I had for uh, for for a book where um, one of Joker's henchmen lives in this apartment building, and it be it became kind of a story about him and his kid. You know, but it was much darker. It was much more of like a it was much more like Joker in terms of content, and, and it was a you know the whole book was like from the point of view of this of this kind of like really losery henchman. And I was like, wait, I just did that. <laughs> I just mm -hmm. I just joker um but it was, you know so at that point i was i was running into a wall with that with that idea and then i um a french publisher at the time had kind of said hey we're we're adapting classic uh works of literature you know do you, is there anything you would want to do and I, I said yeah i'd like to do a christmas carol or a heart of darkness i want to do one of those because i was always kind of attracted to dickens the dickens you know story i think it has real darkness to it you know there's yeah. there's some like you see all these kind of adaptations like muppet adaptations or whatever and and um yeah, no, yeah. There, were, there were people starving in those stories man <laughs> like you know yeah the, yeah but i mean like ghost that shows up with like chains and boxes and shit and he's dragging that <laughs> yeah. stuff around it's like metaphors for his guilt and stuff like that that like that to me was like a crazy visual that when i read that as a kid my brain kind of interpreted it as a way spookier kind yeah. of thing that like it's that has oh, been done that's right you had like superman as one of the the ghosts right was yeah, that, yeah yeah that was cool yeah. yeah yeah but i mean that that was when what what wound up happening is is that i was working on both ideas kind of at the same time or developing them mm -hmm. and then they just kind of merged into i at some at a certain point i just said well wait wait a second like i honestly thought they would laugh at me when i when i proposed the idea so um i just went ahead and wrote it 
I just wrote full script, you know, 96 pages. I just, I just wrote it and I took it to Mark Chirello, who was the art director at DC Comics. And I kind of sheepishly put it in front of him and said, Hey, this is a book I'd, I'd like to do, you know, read it and tell me, and tell me what you think. And, uh, luckily, you know, they, uh, they, they agreed to do it. So it, but that's yeah, that was kind of how it came to be, and then and then I had to actually draw thing, which which uh, which wound up taking way longer than I thought because I initially wanted to paint it, and so I was I was starting out like you know, I, um, I was starting out with like different kinds of colored pencils, and the, those first few pages have like weird. The originals have some weird stuff because it's I was thinking that I was going to do this kind of painted style. Yeah very quickly realizing that I would probably never finish it. It was going to be like a Travis Ray meta barons kind of thing where I would have 22 pages done and never, you know, never wound up finishing it. So I, you know, I wound up giving up on that and just doing kind of black and white grayscale. Yeah. Did uh, uh, your colorist was like uh, this girl from Italy, I think. Or, yeah, yeah. Her name is Barbara Charter. She's amazing. Yeah. She's, yeah, she's a, she's a brilliant color. She actually works for animation now. She's, um, She's not doing comics anymore. Yeah, but she's she she and I worked really well together. We did Wednesday comics together as well in Rorschach, and yeah, she she really um I think I I think I kind of broke her of comics. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, think working, I think working with me was like her. I think after that she was done. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I'm looking at the image of um, Batman and Catwoman on the the snowy rooftop, and I'm just like, wow, right. that's gorgeous. That must have like yeah, she earned that one. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, she did, she did an amazing job. Amazing. Yeah. It sounds like you have a really good relationship with Ryan Azzarello, I take it, right? Yeah. 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 Joker has become like one of the most iconic Joker slash Batman DC comic stories, period, at this point. Like it's it's like a, a stop point for everyone who's getting into comics. I mean, you know, now you hear rumors about Scorsese kind of like adapting it for like a 70s thing yeah. Joker or something yeah. like that. Um, how, yeah. how was that experience like? Because you got all, you also got to uh, render a lot of the rogues in that one as well, didn't you? It bled it bled into parts of Suicide Squad too. Mm. Yeah, 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 it did. Yeah, that's true. It really turned out to be the gift that keeps on giving. I really, <laughs> we really had no idea. I mean, I remember um, when we finished the book, both Brian and my editor Will Dennis, they were like, "It's good. It's like a stand up double." <laughs> and, <laughs> and 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 uh, and. And then it turned out to be this kind of thing that just, I mean, part of it was, uh, you know, for better and for worse. Part of it was the movie, The Dark Knight, that came out the, around the same time. Um, you know, we, we started that book a long, a long time before that. But, you know, we they DC it very intelligently waited to put that book out until the movie had come out. And we just kind of coasted on, on that uh interest at the time that really i think initial sales really kind of got hit like i don't think anybody expected that book to do as well as it as it did and it kind of took off but the nice thing is is that it still does really well and it shocks yeah. me because it's like it seems to continue to find new audiences and in and um it's i think it's one of dc's better selling graphic novels and and um and that that whole project really was uh it was it was It'll always be for me the first time I feel like I kind of um, did exactly what I wanted to do. Like that, mm -hmm. I there was no real editorial uh, involvement there. I, I worked with an awesome editor, Will Dennis, who was a Vertigo editor, and he was just he just really understood what Brian and I wanted to do, um, and we just. 
that's what we did. We just, you know, it was like a very specific vision. And no one, strangely enough, no one there in the bat office was really paying attention to what we were doing. No one cared. <laughs> Wow. That's so, so funny you say that. <laughs> yeah, so we just kind of like that. We did insane shit, and in I mean, we had Joker taking drugs and like yeah. there's stuff in that book that I can't believe we, we got away with. Yeah, he like banged the guy's wife or something in the back seat. Yeah, real quick. that's yeah, great. That was, that's yeah. nuts, man. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's there's stuff in that that, but it was it was like the first time that I, that we sat down and I just that was a hundred percent our vision. Like there was no, like I said, it was it was pretty it was pretty pure. And that, I think, comes across in, in the book. And that's why I think as much as some of it, like when I look back at it, some of it makes me cringe. I wish I could, you know, fix a lot of that stuff, um, kind of, you know, drawing here and there that doesn't work for me now. But um, you know, like what, I think 10 years have passed since that book came out. And so um, now that we're kind of doing the, the sequel, that's book is kind of, I've been looking at it again a lot. I've, ha I've been having to look at it again a lot. Mm. Oh, so the the damned is the sequel to the Joker? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. shit, that's amazing. Oh, so Very it's like nice. the it's like the the Azarello Bermejo universe kind of like you have. Yeah, the, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of what we've been trying to do. That's, that's gonna what... make some money, boy. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it's it's something that we wanted to do for a long time because I think we started talking about doing uh, a Joker sequel right. maybe six years ago. It, we we started. Yeah, I think I was working on time when we started to talk about doing a sequel. Yeah. Um, but it was always kind of like, yeah, what do we do? Like, I, I, like, I don't want to do Joker 2, you know? Yeah, like, right. that's yeah. not appealing to me. And the natural inclination when you do a book that kind of does well is that, you know, obviously you, people want to see more of that and us too. It's, it's, it's something that – it's a world that interests us and we love those characters. And so – the idea of being able to come back and doing something in that vein was always super appealing, but you don't want to do it just to do it. You know, you want to have the story that um, is the reason, is really the reason for doing it. And so I think it just took kind of ha having that, but getting to the kind of the Azarello relationship, I mean, that's part of what we do and what we enjoy doing. Started it in Lex Luthor and, and even Batman Deathblow to a certain extent is we just kind of like take these characters and, and we just, we almost treat them as if it's our creation. You know what I mean? We almost treat them, treat them as if, okay, well there are these rules. Okay. Superman is an alien and he flies and, and he is the character that he is, but what's our, what's our vision? What makes what, how we interpret him unique? You know, what, what's going to make it different. And that was the case with Joker and all those villains. And this new book is just like infinitely more of, of that where we're taking, I mean, I can't really say much more, but we're taking a ton of, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah we're we're going to talk about it on the, on the, the next. Thing. But, but it's like, it's, it's definitely a DC universe book where we, are taking a crack at uh, stuff we've yeah. never done before. Uh, I don't. I don't know if you know what is out there, what they've released about the book so far. Just, just to help you know how much you can say at this point. Can't the solicitation it. that's out there now from DC just states that uh, the book is the story of uh, a body being found on a bridge in Gotham, and whispers spread through the city that it's the body of the Joker.
Joker. Right. And Batman starts looking into this, uh, investigating something very bad happening in Gotham uh, with the help of John Constantine. Yeah, that's what it is. Was there ever a point when you either heard or were approached um, by the studio guys that they were like looking at Luthor and uh, uh, even parts of Joker for some of the, the Snyderverse stuff? There's That's... some interviews, I think, where um, I don't know if it was Jeff Johns or if it was Snyder were saying that they read a lot of they read Luther and they liked the part where he was so adamant about, you know, calling Superman an alien and him not being human and how he's like the antithesis of what a human should be and, and what the human race could do without help. Did you guys ever hear about any of that? No, I mean, uh, you know, you, you never know. Um, you never really know that 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 like how much the studio looks at what you do or, you know, it's it's so they're so two completely different things mm. and so separate. You know, there's yeah. no communication and, and no. And I think that that's where a lot of, you know, they, they're looking at for these movies, they're looking at so much different stuff. I mean, our book um, is just a real small fraction of what they're like Suicide Squad. You, you mentioned Suicide Squad. That That's such a small fraction of what one wound up being in that movie. Uh, yeah. You know, Killer Croc looks uh, somewhat similar to the Killer Croc we did. Frost is in there. Yeah, Frost is in there. Um, you know, the, the strip club being kind of Joker's, you know, headquarters. I mean, you know, they took bits like that. But I mean, you know, that movie was not at all reflective in my <laughs> of what I of what I it's like they just pick and choose little little moments like, you know, Batman versus Superman. That, that Lex Luthor is very, very, very different. I mean, yeah, couldn't be more different than our than our. You're right, because I remember hearing the interview where it was like, oh, yeah, we're looking at this uh, book by Brian Azzarello and Lee Romero called Luther. And I was like, oh, my God, that's like the best version of Luther there is because he's so he's so hateful and hate filled. Yeah, and it's, it's not what ended up happening, or at least that's not what they ended up like completely kind of using. But um, yeah, they just kind of pick, pick from a bunch of different stuff, you know what I mean? Sure. And, and it's it, you know, I think like with uh, uh, with all with all that kind of stuff, you're kind of it's always kind of nice to hear that they that they are looking at, at your work, but by the same token, you know that that there's like 15 other books on their desk too, you know what I mean? That are all going into this kind of goulash that winds up being whatever. whatever <laughs> and they're bringing and they're bringing in their own like you know david ayer has his own specific take on you know he has his own aesthetic that that he brought very much brought to that movie uh, yeah yeah he has his own um sense of of, of visually what he's looking for so you know I, i i feel like there it's like the same as anything you know what i mean like you you go you know for as much as their version was like ours it's it's very much like a lot of other different different stuff I've seen too. So yeah, it's always, it's always kind of tough because we just kind of do what we do and what we do is the comics. And if that winds up being used for something later on down the road, awesome. Yeah. You know, awesome. Mm-hmm. It helps me sell books. That's awesome. <laughs> In regards to Joker, I'm, I love, we all love Brian here, but I, I, truly believe that the main selling point for that book was your art the storytelling in your art because uh whenever i hear new readers even like casual readers always reference it and it was always the art like yo did you see the way this guy like drew harley quinn that just skinned the man alive or something like that and whatnot um and and even from the cover as a selling point i i truly believe that that your your work is the reason that it just like you said continues to be uh the gift that keeps on giving but right here 
right next to me right now, I could literally put my arm <laughs> around my Prime One Libra Merrill Batman oh, uh, statue. Okay. Oh, um, so with the um, exclusive Berserker portrait from Sightra. I love this thing. Um, what's the experience like working with Prime One and uh, like your upcoming line and everything? Oh, they're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> they're the best that in my opinion the best that what they what they do out there i mean that the um the stuff they do is staggeringly good yeah it's just it's i went to tokyo last december with with the guys from prime one and uh it was like walking around that booth and seeing all those statues like they had the swamp thing statue there i mean you can't believe the amount of detail and um you can't believe how, what perfectionists those guys are like yeah. and every little bit of minutiae like those guys look at every little tiny detail and analyze it and and want to make it better and um they had the the dead man statue there yeah i saw was, that that was sweet i was just blown i was blown away by that i mean just like the little skin texture on on i mean it's just it's it's my it's mind boggling what what they do well, um, with my statue in the gray parts of the suit for your batman statue it's yeah. almost like they have this i don't like a, this marble painting effect on it. it's crazy like yeah all, you yeah know? It's Oh, it's all just, I mean, it's it's insane how good, you know, they had the Justice League right. statues on display. It looks, they look so real. They look, you know, the texture on the costumes and the damage detail. I mean, it's just, it's it's insane. They're doing such um, amazing stuff. And what I really appreciate about what they do is that um, they bring, I think, integrity to every, everything. Like, everything from the packaging to the... You know, to, to the way they photograph this stuff, it's those guys are just very specific about what they do and how they do it. I'm I cannot wait to see some of the other the other uh, statues that we got we got uh, in the works. Um, yeah, because my friend um, or one of our guys, Legends Lego Batman, who could be on today, he asked um, in the we had a a, lot, a live post asking if anyone wanted to ask you a question. And his question was, uh, is there any chance of getting like a Libra Mero Catwoman statue from Prime One? I understand. Uh, I understand. Like you do have like a line coming out, some kind of like line. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dead Man. Dead Man is kind of the first. Um, yeah statue because he shows up in the dam uh, and damned um and uh yeah so that's kind of the first one but um right now no no catwoman i would love to do i would love to do a catwoman yeah. one eventually i think that people can kind of guess the next yeah like, <laughs> you know? I, think, I think that there's a clear you know if people know uh most of what people want to see those guys want to do too yeah so if people make it known to those guys, hey, we want Catwoman, they, I think they will do it. They would do one. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's a lot of it, too, with, with those guys is um, since they have the Arkham line um, and they do, you know, they've done the new 52 line. Part of it also is is um, arranging the character in a moment where they don't have another, you know, like I think they just released a Joker Arkham statue like late last year. Yeah. And so, like, you can't have two Joker statues coming out at the same. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's they're just like like those items are so kind of specific and high priced. You have to really be specific about when you put out the characters that you put out. Yeah. So, um, a lot of, uh, there's a lot that goes into kind of uh, how, when they do what they do and how and and what they do. Yeah. I I mean, I mean, you know, I hate not being able to talk about it because I would 
I, I could talk all day about that stuff, but um, I think people can probably guess like the next the next one that there. Yeah. Well, uh, to to stay on the topic of things you can't really talk about, <laughs> uh, with uh, with DC doing the black label thing, and yeah. uh, you you talked earlier about the the Joker book being something that continues to sell. Uh, right. I I can I can agree with that. I work in a comic shop, and Joker is one of the books that we have to consistently reorder, like right up there with Killing Joke and things like that. Uh, so that uh, Black Label coming along finally affords us the opportunity to see uh, a sequel come of that. Uh, do you think Black Label, if say it continues, you know, it does well, and it, and it's something that keeps going. Could we see? Could we expect to see more work come from you? Or are there other things you would like to do uh, in oh, a world yeah. where Black oh, Label exists? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, so much. You know, the the nice thing about um, Black Label, I think in general, is that it's kind of the it's kind of the only place that I can really do projects that I want to do at DC. Yeah. You know, aside from doing graphic novels like Noel or whatever that that come out, but it's it gives the it gives those kind of projects a home. You know what I mean? Like a, a specific imprint where people can, um, where they don't feel so kind of out there on their own. You know what I mean? I think that was, I think Joker and, and Noel were both kind of projects very much like that, that kind of, you know, came out and, um, uh, you know, people often ask me like, well, are they part of continuity? And like, I mean, do you think they're part of continuity? I mean, they, you know what I mean? It becomes, it becomes that question where you don't you don't necessarily need to answer no because it very it very well could you know what I mean if people want to kind of find a place for it um, in the same way that Killing Joke did you know what I mean like Killing Joke was um, considered to be out of continuity for a long time and then it's kind of worked its way into continuity here and there if I'm not if I'm yeah. not yeah like with the yeah, oracle think, and the wheelchair and everything yeah, yeah I think uh, in I think it was in John Ostrander's Suicide Squad uh, that uh, he sort of brought it into continuity by uh, introducing Oracle there and then yeah. uh, some of those following issues even had flashbacks to Killing Joke right yeah. mm -hmm. but continuity is so weird now because then DC just decides to you know, yank her out of the wheelchair and she's back girl again. So it's, yeah. we say continuity, yeah. but it's like, are there really any rules anymore? You know, hopefully Black Label will just, just correct all of that and just, you know, have more fun. Yeah, I think, I think the Black Label is also like, um, more than anything, it's just a place for people also who, who uh, like in my specific case, I mean, I just am not fast enough to do a monthly book. So I can't fit, I can't fit myself into the monthly, even if I wanted to, I couldn't fit myself into the monthly schedule. So it's it's nice to have some place where you can kind of take these characters that you love and say, you know what, you know, I, I, I want to do X character and, and this is the story I want to do for it. And it's nice to be able to think that I could do that without having to say, oh, well, you know what, this character right now uh, is part of this team. And so he's not really, you, you don't have to be responsible to the, to the current iteration of the character. You can kind of do your own version. And I, I think that's always something that for the kind of artist that I am is, is appealing. So I, I would, I would certainly think that in the future, I would really love to do, to do some other stuff, uh, uh through, through black label and, and, um, you know, we'll see. I love the fact that DC's doing all these new imprints. I, I just, you know, these, this DC Inc. and DC Zoom, all this different kind of stuff. It's, um, I'm really curious to see what happens with all the imprints. So Black Label is, is just the one that specifically seems to fit me. In a world where we're getting like uh, Tom King will come out with a, a Mr. Miracle miniseries and, and now he's following that with what sounds like it's going to be a, a Booster Gold series. Uh, oh, that's 
with with that kind of stuff happening, if uh, if DC said, you know, if whoever is at the helm of Black Label said, okay, tell me what you want to do next, and uh, we'll see if we can get you a green light. To, right. Who would who would the first person on on your list be? The char- characters, you mean? Yeah. Oh God, I really want to do the Creeper. <laughs> oh, uh, cool. I really want to do the Creeper. Yeah, I think I, I think I, I think I have a take on that character that could be interesting. I, I'd like to do Lobo. Nice. Uh, I, think, I think every everybody wants to do Lobo. <laughs> it's crazy I, how many people want to yeah, do Lobo. I just, I just think I just think that he's one of those characters that's been fit in such a specific. He's just been squeezed in, into such a specific hole for so long yeah. that it it would be really fun to just kind of completely go in another direction with that character, like without changing who he is and what he is. Like just you know, I, I think I think he'd be I think he'd be fun. There's just so many of these kind of there's so many of these characters that I love and would love to do. I mean, I'd love to do Catwoman too. I, oh, you know. Oh my goodness! Can we get some variants for Joel Jones's run, please? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have time, man. I yeah, I can, I can imagine. <laughs> it's like I gotta, oh, I gotta uh, later on down the road. Yeah, but but. Yeah. Um, I guarantee right now, just from you having said you would love to do Catwoman, when this episode goes up, people are going to get to that part of the episode and they're going to freak out because <laughs> Lee Bermeo said he wanted to do a Catwoman book. Yeah, I, I think all those characters, like she's the one bat villain, kind of, I, I should say she's the one like super important bat villain that yeah. I haven't really, that I, I mean, I did, I did in Noel, but you know, the, those like those sequences were just like they were meant to serve another purpose, like ghosts of past Christmas yeah. party. It, it would be nice to kind of do a real, uh, a real solid kind of serious uh, take on uh, on that character. She's yeah. she's destined for that, man. I hope one day that we they give her like a Netflix series with the same maturity that they did Daredevil with. I feel like she's just one of those characters, really yeah. uh, street alley girl, you know, just uh, yeah. scrapping. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I really hope they, they, they. Um, I like the fact that they're starting to do that, though. You know, like that, like this Teen Titans, uh, or is it Titans? I forget, but it's yeah, Titan, Titans. Teen Titans. That the series, yeah. this TV. I'm really curious about that, just simply because it's it. I like it's a format that you know I, I want to see them explore more. Like the Doom Patrol, Swamp Thing. I'm, I'm in. Yeah. You know, yeah. Those are, yeah. Love. So I'm looking forward to seeing what else what else they do when you're right. Just going back, man, I'm looking at the image of uh, your Catwoman and Noel and her like cowl is like also like that old war bomber goggle. Yeah. Um, I love that, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The floodgates yeah. have opened now, man, for the wish list for uh, Libero. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs sleep, right? I mean, just, you know. Right. Right. Um, that, that would be fun. That would be a fun project for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the problem. There's so many different things that i all these characters you know it's just it's it's uh just so many of them that i love is, you know? is it safe to say that batman's your favorite though uh yeah no i like that the batman universe i should say i, I just like that kind of group of group of characters i'm uh, i'm really uh i love the supernatural dc characters too you know i, I like all the kind of Ooh, spe- like maybe zatanna you know just saying yeah I <laughs> obviously that's a zatanna yeah spe- um, Entry, Demon, oh, Entry Demon. So like Justice League Dark stuff as well. Yeah. Like, yeah. Did you yeah. see the animated movie, Justice League Dark? I haven't. I have not seen it yet. You got to check it out, man. This little tradition called the lightning round. Number one, uh, peanut or plain M&M's? Uh, peanut M&M's. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Number two, 
deep dish pizza or thin slice pizza? Thin crust. Uh, thin, thin, thin slice pizza. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> awesome. Number three, favorite Italian city? Um, oh, God. Um, uh, it's, it's hard nice, to say. Nice to bounce around. It's on the train. The Eurostar. a favorite child. If you had, if you had a day off, if you had a, a whole day off, which one would you go to? I'd go to Milan. Yeah, I'd go to Milan. Okay. Fun now, year. now you you've been living in Italy since what early two thousands or something, right? Yeah, two thousand three. Yeah. 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 Uh, what? Why? Why Italy? Uh, what? Uh, what? What caused that? Um, I met a I met a girl. Okay. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. So that uh, that prompted that prompted the move. That's awesome. I mean, when I was living in Venice, and then like just go down to like Rome or Florence, like for an artist, you, there's no other places on the planet like it. So that's to yeah, be it's pretty. It's pretty awesome. It's a great. Um, yeah, it's a great country. It's it's got it's got a fantastic culture, but it's for artistically, it's just you know, it's amazing. Do you do you speak Italian? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Cool. Kinda happy. I live in a real small town, so there's not a lot of English, not a lot of English speakers here. Yeah, that's pretty sweet, man. Um, yeah. All right, if you could have dinner with one human being in anyone in history, dead or alive, any human being that ever existed, if you could have dinner with one human being, who would it be? Uh, J.D. Salinger. Oh, cool answer. Um, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Invisibility. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like, leave me alone. I gotta make deadlines. <laughs> I'm. Uh, I'm not sure if if you're familiar with. I know you're from California, so yeah. I don't know if you had Shake Shack, but would you? Yeah. In and Out or Shake Shack Burger? Um, I go Shake Shack. Oh, Tom, take that, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> Please. And, and gotta, get your, gotta get your yeah. taste buds tested. I just, I just don't like the In and Out fries, man. Oh. I know it's. Like, I know. I know people like want to. All right. Like, well, let's back. let's take it back then. Let's just say burger then. Just burger. Don't talk. Don't count the fries. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, Lee. Yeah. If you were given the opportunity to cast your Batman film with exactly everyone you wanted to play whatever character. What would it be? Oh man! Oh god! Um, Idris Elba would be Batman. Oh Damn. shit! Um, uh, who would I cast as, as the Joker? I don't, that's a that's a hard that's a hard one. I really like Joaquin Phoenix. As soon as they brought up his name for this movie, I was just like, oh man! They yeah. they kind of put the bug in my head, and now I kind of can't get it get it out of my. I'm like, you know, um, he could do. I it. think. He, Think he'd be interesting, I, I you know. But uh, my Joker was always Christopher Walken from uh, Oh King, yeah, King of New York was always that was always my um, that was who Brian and I were talking about when we were doing that book. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in terms of kind of like physicality and the way he moves and stuff. But um, who else? Who else? You did a you did a two piece a two face piece once. Yeah, with, Denzel. Uh, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Who yeah. I would honestly like, you know, at this point, it just be, would become about putting my favorite actors in, in yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah, like Daniel Day Lewis. Though I always wanted him to play Lex Luthor. So, uh, dude, he could play anyone. <laughs> Daniel, he's so yeah, good. He, he, he could, he could yeah. play everybody in the movie. <laughs> yeah, really, really Only cool. Eddie Murphy can do that. <laughs> <laughs> what about, what about your Catwoman? I don't know, maybe Evan Mendez. 
think she's awesome. That might uh, be a little too 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 hot. Ava Mendez, yeah. that'd be distracting for me. The um, I love her. She's so talented uh, and beautiful, obviously. But she's, in, I think she's an incredible actress. She did Penny, Arthur. No, she did Penny. She did Penny Dreadful. Green. Yeah, Green. What's her name? Ava Green. Ava Green. Yeah. yeah. She look, she's a little short, but she's still like off. Awesome. She's like she she has like moments where she goes feral in that show when when I'm just like oh my god she can go from like super beautiful to super crazy and oh uh, yeah just like that um the rise of the three hundred I think it was called the sequel to yeah it. she was like nuts in that. I've never I've never seen that oh yeah you would like that one too man she's uh she's pretty wild in that we like to ask the tough questions yeah <laughs> get you thinking get your, get your mind thinking yeah it's a freaking honor man We've been a fan of your work for so long and it, we, it means a lot to us talking to us and um thanks know. a lot guys thanks for having yeah. me Appreciate of course it. man anytime if you anyone come ever want to come back and talk about anything you, you got anything you need to um yeah we got to do that plug um, anything yeah, like right when the dam drops we, we can have you back on we'll do it again we'll do it again when our uh, dam hits and that way we can we can get into that Definitely. a bit more than than we could this time. Do you ever do you, do you ever get any crap for like does does your editor or anybody ever get on you for like doing interviews when you should be working? <laughs> uh, no, because I honestly don't do a lot of conventions or interviews. Yeah. So I mean, I really am not like I'm really not one of those guys that's kind of always out there. And you know, I I, yeah. I tend to be pretty low key. Yeah, you know, low you know? key. Yeah. So, so you never you never have like Dan Dio like coming knocking on your like hey hey what you get back and do your work. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm so far off the radar of those guys. Like those guys aren't. Those guys are concerned with, uh, um, you know, a lot of other things. They're they're not concerned about, you know, like uh, that's that's the awesome thing about being. I know. Um, kind of. Uh, uh, well, it, they leave you alone to do what you want. That is cool. I'm not one of those guys that does you know, a lot of interviews. I don't do a lot of conventions, so I tend to just kind of, uh, yeah, I just tend to kind of do the work. Hey, Gotham dwellers. Make sure to stop everything right now and subscribe to Bat Force Radio. We can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. Don't miss out. Guaranteed to satisfy all of your Batman and DC needs. Mr. Snyder, hey, Billy.